Danny has continued to encourage us to bring our Bibles, and so if you did so, uh, I would invite you to open your Bibles to the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, but if not, you can grab the pew Bible in front of you, and I'll give you just a moment to turn to page 174. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at the 12th verse. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of members, but of many. If the foot were to say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear were to say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. In those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with great honor. And the less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior members. That each there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffer, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually you are members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gift of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, you have gathered us here on this Sabbath day to hear your word proclaimed. Lord, allow each of us to open up our hearts and our minds to still our busy lives, to listen for what you may be saying to us this day. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. I can remember almost every time that I go out to mow the grass, I laugh to myself because I remember my mother's words that she said to me quite often as a young boy. Newton, we need to mow the grass. <laughs> it was her not so subtle way of saying that I needed to get out there and mow the grass. But the truth is, it was my part in the family. 
We had a role to play and to support the house. That was my job was to mow the grass. So what about you and your family, either back then or now? What is your role? What part do you play in your family system? Or what about an orchestra? All the individual pieces that have a major part come together to make beautiful music. Each individually matter, but collectively they produce beautiful music. Or maybe a sports analogy. I don't know. Let's just pick a team and I'll just pull some names out of the air. Somebody like Brooks and Little and Woods and White and Johnston and Black. You know, UNC basketball. Together on the court and those players on the bench, they work together. Each of them have a part to play in the total collectiveness of UNC being a great winning team. Now, maybe a better example for some of you is your workplace, where you work to get paid or you work as a volunteer. Each employee pays a role, plays a role, be it in banking or manufacturing, retail, small or large company. Each has a part to play to make the whole work. And there are many other examples that we could go through today. But the truth here, truth is that being part of First Presbyterian here, you are part of something as well, but not in the same way that we're part of those other organizations. Being a part of the church is something different. But before we explore what that looks like for us here today, we need to go back a little bit. We need to go back at the time of Paul when Paul was writing this letter to 1 Corinthians. Now, he wrote it after he had already been there. Paul spent somewhere around a year and a half in the community of Corinth around the year 50 A.D., some 17 years after the death and resurrection of Christ. Corinth had been rebuilt some 40 years before that. It was a major route for trade, and the community was a melting pot of over 12 different religions, rich and poor, Jews and Greeks and Gentiles. The majority of the makeup of the community were what some scholars called the dregs, the surplus population, including slaves and displaced peasants. Morality and ethics were running rampant and were a big issue. Corinth had grown to be a very wealthy place. In Corinth, house churches had been established. They would worship independently and come together on certain times to celebrate the sacrament of communion together. But I want you to think about that for a minute, that makeup of, of the Corinth community, the early church, the melting pot of all these people from a variety of backgrounds with a variety of skills and needs and wants, each trying to figure out what was their part in this new church. Did some see themselves better than someone else? Where they were a believing church should be some hierarchical Roman system like Roman politics were. They weren't sure. They were finding their way. Early on in the letter, Paul begins to name and claim what he will expand on, and that is this idea of unity. In chapter 1, verse 10, he says, Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose." No division, the same mind. I don't think it worked then, and I'm not so sure how it's working now. But building upon this first argument, we move into our focus for today, and that's chapter 12. The first 11 verses, Paul lays out that there are a variety of gifts, but all proceed from the same source, and that is the source of the Spirit. One body, many members. 
Paul begins our part for today by saying, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are but one body, and so it is with Christ. For there is one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. Paul claims throughout chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians that we find our foundation surrounded by the font, by the waters of baptism in which we have all been named and claimed by God, that we find unity in the font when we remember our baptism. Just two weeks ago, Danny preached an amazing sermon on remembering your baptism. If you weren't here, I would encourage you to go listen to it online. And after worship, we were invited to come forward and to, to touch the water and to remember that we had been named and claimed by God as part of the body of Christ. But there were issues in Corinth. The Corinthians had been competing with one another according to their culturally defined values. They were using the gifts of the Holy Spirit meant for good for the whole of the community as their pastoral arsenal in the competition for honor at the expense of others. However, by pointing to the church's common experience of God's grace and baptism, Paul makes it clear that we all share in the same water, the same promise, the same spirit, and thus are all equally part of the same body. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member but of many, as Paul goes on to explain. The whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged all this for a reason. Each of us having our place, each of us having our part, not one greater than another. But unlike in the society, Paul says, on the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker or indispensable And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with great honor. And less respectable members are treated with great respect. In the body, the greater honor is given to the inferior members. There should be no dissension within the body. For we were all made together to be part of the body of Christ. Also in the body, the members have the same care for one another. Furthermore, if one member suffer, we all suffer together. This is the building up of the kingdom of God that Paul and the other Christians began in Corinth. It began in these house churches, and it grew and grew and grew. And here we are today, some 2,000 years later. But do we remember that we are part of the body of Christ? Do we remember that we are all joined together here at this church and other churches across the world by that unity? For that's what brings us together but not divides us. For there is too much division in this world, and we need to be reminded that we are called to be brought together. I don't know how many of you all follow Richard Rohr's uh, weekly, excuse me, daily devotions, but they are are powerful, powerful, um, thought-provoking, and I would encourage you uh, to look into it. But just this past Monday, um, his devotion was centered around Diana Butler Bass, who is a church historian, and he said that she's brought new light to a forgotten misconstrued elements of Christianity. And he shares this of her words. Throughout the first five centuries, people understood Christianity primarily as a way of life in the present, not as a doctrinal system, esoteric belief, or promise of salvation. By followers enacting Jesus' teaching, Christianity changed 
and improved the lives of its adherents and served as a practical spiritual pathway. This way, the earliest Christians were called the people of the way, bettered existence by countless ancient believers. What Diana Butler Bass is reminding us of is it's back to the basics about what it means to be the body of Christ, that we enact the teachings of Jesus, that we don't get caught up in all this doctrinal argument about which denomination or which even sect of the Presbyterian church is better than another, but we follow the ways and the teachings of Jesus. Where have we gone astray? Shirley Guthrie, Jr., who I consider to be one of the great theologians of our time who passed away not terribly long ago, wrote a book called Christian Doctrine. If you don't have a copy of it, I would uh, ask you to consider getting one. It is a great way to help explore more about what it is that we believe. But he says this, when you look at your, own, your local congregation, your denomination, and the relationship between denominations in your country, what is it that you see? Do you see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, one mind, or bitterness, anger, slander, competition, and so on. He goes on to say that according to the New Testament, the unity of the body of Christ is not a rigid uniformity. There are legitimate differences among various members of the body. But in the first place, the differences mentioned in the New Testament are not sociological or even theological differences, but differences of gifts and tasks that God has given to us through the Spirit. Secondly, he says, nowhere does the New Testament suggest that the different members of the body can live in self-sufficient isolation or in the downright opposition to each other. On the contrary, Paul's point is that they all need each other and must live together and mutual cooperation if the whole body is to be healthy and function properly. We need each other. We can't live as isolated Christians and be part of the body of Christ the way that Paul is talking about and I believe the way that God designed for us to be in community together. We just can't do it. We need each other. To conclude what Guthrie was talking about, he quotes Donald Miller saying, There is a diversity within a large family, different aptitudes, different tastes, different personal characteristics. It would be a strange family nonetheless, which would set up a separate living arrangement to satisfy the particular peculiarities of each member. In a real family, diversity is held within the unity of the family. The family lives in the same house, eats together, carries forward at group activities as a unity. In this way, the diversity enriches the whole family life and each benefits each other. We are a family of faith here at First Presbyterian. We don't all think the same. We don't all look the same. We don't all act the same. We don't have the same gifts. And thanks be to God for that. But we are part of the body of Christ nonetheless. We live in this family together, and we figure out a way to work things out when we need to. Paul challenges us to see ourselves as the embodiment of Christ in the world not primarily as individuals, but as local communities, yet belonging also to a larger whole. The differences acknowledge people are not all the same. They do not have all the same abilities. The common life is nothing other than the life of Christ, the life of the Spirit, 
This remains the constant. In each situation, the working out may vary, although not without the apostolic connection which keeps us connected to the whole in the present time in history. Thus, Paul deals with a common problem, the problems of divisiveness, especially the kind generated by claims to the Spirit for bringing people back to the basics. Our sense of identity lies not in the role we play, nor the status, nor the reward our role brings, but in the sense of oneness with the life of Christ, which is the life of God, and ultimately the life of all that is. We are not asked as individuals to be Christ or Christ, let alone saviors of the world. Although many suffer from this misconception and the burnout it produces, we are asked this, to be members of a body of Christ and to play our part, not more, not less. What part do you play? I want you to know that today that you matter For the unity of believers is grounded in that each person is an indispensable part of the body and that though it is unstated here, it is clearly by the grace of God that each one of us belongs. The individuality is honored in that each believer serves the body in distinct non-hierarchical ways. We are called to be part of the body of Christ. So as we prepare for this mission vision study, I encourage each of you to attend one of the listening sessions. Let your voice be heard, but do so in a way that together we can discern where God is leading this body of Christ here at First Presbyterian. That we move forward with a spirit of willingness, a spirit of being open to hear, truly hear one another, recognizing a variety of gifts, of perspectives, of backgrounds being centered around the font, the table, and the empty cross. Reminded this day that you, me, we, we are all part of the body of Christ. Each part we play matters. Each of you matters. So what is your part? Amen.